0: A former prosecutor and judicial candidate, Connie Reguli, examines the dark underbelly of the Tennessee legal system and how she is fighting back to clear her name and reputation after being wrongly convicted of being an accomplice to a crime. My name is Kevin Cookagee and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast.
1: Kevin, I, so far, like I don't think I've ever heard this song, ever, in my entire <laughs> life.
0: You know what's funny about that? Is my son just complimented you on how well you, <laughs> on how well you've done getting all the songs. I'm oh,
1: sorry, Will. I'm so sorry. Wills. It, Will, Wills. Wills. I forgot the S. S. I knew it.
0: Um, oh, man. And he also complimented you on the fact that you can actually sing. And so when you always sing on a song.
1: Okay, wait a minute, though. Wait, wait. Well, that's uh, the Eagles or uh, Don, yes, H- Don there Henley. You go. it's the Eagles. So yeah. I know it's Don Henley, but I've never heard this song, though.
0: On the Border. Huh. So this
1: was a song. I can't believe I've never heard an Eagles song. That's kind of crazy.
0: So this was uh, a song that was chosen today because all the time we see the left and, and Hollywood, the music industry, always used to be against government control. They used to be against censorship. They used to be against, well, in fact, they wrote this song. I'll, I'll read you just a couple of the lyrics so you can get the idea. Minding my business, along comes big brother. Says, son, you better get on the side, one side or the other. Hmm, you in some trouble, boy. We know where you've been. So that whole song was written uh, at Watergate, and it was wow. the left's and, and the eagle's wrote it because they wanted to call attention to fear of government growing out of control. And yet today, ironically, those people, not all of them, but the great majority of those in Hollywood and those who write music and entertain us today would be all in favor of censorship, right, as they were at least since 2020. So they have become the very thing that they have been against. So I wanted to point that out as a contrast as we get into our conversation today good.
1: and wills just so you know i'll never again miss the s that's my <laughs> it's my commitment <laughs> well we have we have a guest today in the yes
0: studio. gary introduce us because this is going to be some i think uh some fireworks at least in people's um in their homes as they listen to this <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's always fun when you find these things in Tennessee because, again, Kevin, like we always say, you know, nothing nothing bad ever happens in Tennessee. You know, it's just a bunch of good people doing the right thing, you know, protecting our liberties. And so with us in the studio today, uh, I've, I've known you for, I guess, ever since really, um, probably back when I worked at Fact, I think some, somehow I met you.
2: Yeah, probably. Um,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Connie Reguli, uh, you are an attorney.
2: yes. You've, uh, well, as of today, not
1: quite. (laughs) You've been an attorney for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. You've been a prosecutor in in the district
0: attorney's office, right? Yep.
2: In Davidson County. In Davidson County.
0: Uh, so you're a real lawyer. See, I always, I always joke and (laughs) remind everybody that I'm a fake lawyer. I just do entertainment law. So Uh, you do the really scary stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: A fake lawyer though, that, that knows the constitution and understands our founding and all those Mm. fun things though. So you know, I wanted to have you sent you sent me a text and we knew this was kind of going on. And so just to sort of set the table, you ran for office last year. I
2: did. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Juvenile court judge here in Williamson County.
2: I did. Republican primary.
1: Yeah. You made the news. Yeah. Yeah.
2: A lot for that that lot, office. I mean, of, that that office never makes the news. I mean, who ever puts the juvenile court judge race in the news,
1: whoever even knows who's running for juvenile court judge. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's usually just sort of the establishment pick and they put out the signs and you go press the button. But what was interesting about your race though? And because we we talk a lot about the machines, we talk about election fraud, you know, we've talked about early voting and we've we talked about that quite a lot on this show, but there are there are still yet more things that happen in elections uh than just those. In your election, right in the middle of early voting, you were Criminally convicted
2: of two felonies, three felonies right in the middle of, the, of early voting.
1: And certainly we want to say up front, clearly that had nothing to do with the fact that you were running for juvenile court judge <laughs> yeah, against yeah. the
2: incumbent.
0: <laughs> had everything to do with that. But yeah, go ahead. We'll talk about Holy that. Cow. Yeah. Tell us where that what's that all about?
2: Well, yeah, you know, I, I have been an activist in um, trying to get a better judiciary in Tennessee since 2008. And I came down to was in Davidson County. I came down to Williamson County in 2002. I had kids needed to put them in a better school. Like everybody comes to Williamson County for right, so uh, started uh, practicing down here. And you know, I'd been uh, fine in Davidson County. It's a little bit more uh, cosmopolitan, a, a little metropolitan, all kinds of different uh, uh, forums that you can be in. I came down to uh, Williamson County, and all of a sudden it was like going back like 50 years and the way women were treated as professionals and lawyers in the courtroom mm. i mean i was gasping and as a matter of fact i, I there were only Wait,
0: what what year was that when you 2000- fr-
2: 2002.
0: So even then, you could tell a difference. Oh, huge difference. Hmm.
2: And there were just a handful of female attorneys down here. And one of them, who I'd seen quite a bit, I actually called her up and because the judge in the courtroom had called the female attorneys girls. And uh, yeah, so I called her up, like, what's mm-hmm. going on? You know, she really didn't have much of an answer, and I would find out why later. But um, so I started becoming very active. I'm a very strong, I, I defend people vigorously. I mean, very vigorously. I, I love, it's a second career for me. I loved it. I'm smart. I could understand the law. I love being prepared. I'm a great storyteller. So I had all of those qualities that made it great to walk into the courtroom. And what I started seeing was the way people were treated in the courtroom in Williamson County. It was it was horrendous, especially, you know, Williamson County, who's what, the 11th wealthiest county in the nation now. Yeah, I thought
1: it was 10th, but yeah, you might be right. It's, it's up there.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you have a lot of, when you have divorce cases, you have a, a real high mm-hmm. profile of divorce cases where you have one really high income earner mm-hmm. and then often a stay-at-home mom uh, or a stay-at-home person, but generally right. the mom. And you would have these divorces of people after 10, 15, 20 years with this huge disparate income. And the narcissist was always winning. Let me just put it that way. And I saw a lot of uh, women being beat up in the court system. And by 2008... I'd had it. Honestly, I just had it. I've,
1: I've seen some men really beat up in the court system, by the way, <laughs> yeah. too.
2: Uh, yes, of late. <clears> they <throat> have. And I'll tell you, there's a, that, was kind of, that shifted, actually. You know, I, I didn't see that so much back then, but I have seen that as well. So I went to my first little trip to the General Assembly. Tennessee General Assembly was in 2008. And I mean, I was just mad. I was just mad. So i go down there. I'd never done it before. i just go down there knocking on their door, walking in. I said, I want to see, you know, whoever it was. I, I'd had a list of a few people, but I just started walking in. And I'd sit down and I'd talk to them. And I told them that 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 the the judiciary had no oversight; that they were out of control. And they would say, "Who are you with?" This was my first lesson yeah. in politics. I've <clears> heard
1: <throat> that from folks oh my a gosh. lot.
0: That is infuriating. But yes, that's always the line. You're supposed right? to be from some lobbying firm. <laughs> you You're can't sorry. just be. You can't just be a citizen. You got to right. be with somebody. Yeah. So really,
2: my first uh, my first year down there, that's, that's when I discovered you have to have a check or a thousand people behind you, right? So, <laughs> but I didn't care. I was just gonna to go tell him. Well, that's when I met May Beavers. And mm-hmm. May Beavers, who had been a court reporter, was a great state senator, and she had an ear for it. And honestly, John DeBerry out of Memphis mm-hmm. uh, had a great ear for listening to what was happening to families. And so we had our first hearings in 2008.
1: You know, John DeBerry, interestingly, as a Democrat, one of the most conservative members of the General Assembly. Yes, <laughs> I he mean, it's mm-hmm. really, in a, you know, and he, of course, he got uh, kicked out of the Democrat Party recently for being a pro-life Democrat. Yeah, so, for sure, uh, for in- sure. Interesting guy. Okay, so you've got a lot of experience, prosecutor. You you've really seen some corruption in the, in the judiciary, but you've also represented a lot of families against Department of uh, Child Services. That's been that that family law environment has been, and you and you've called out a lot of corruption in DCS too over your time, which I think probably may have lended itself to to you being at the, at the, end of some attacks.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But let me just wind up that first round is May Beavers finally had a joint session for us where we were able to talk about the court of the judiciary it was then. She had a brand new proposal. I said, you know, under Article 6 of the Tennessee Constitution, the legislature has the right to... the courts. Well, it also has the right to remove a judge. Okay, yeah. You don't have to impeach a judge in Tennessee. You can give him 10 days notice, file a petition, bring him into a joint session, and vote him out. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I was educating. That,
1: can the House do that, or is that has to be that has to be a joint session? It has to be joint. Okay.
2: And when, when I first went down there in 2008, that's what I was doing. I was sitting down with those legislatures. I was talking about bad judges, and they're like, oh, impeachment takes such a—it's so hard. And I'm like, yeah, the last time we did it was 1954. The only time we ever did a removal was 1994. And I said, you don't have to impeach a judge. You can remove them. You just need to bring them in there. So we battled through all of that, and we came out with the Board of Judicial Conduct, which is really not any better— but I also, as I worked, um, built my practice with families, I started seeing a, a more and more a higher aggression with the Department of Children's Services. And so they were taking children. And uh, honestly, it was kind of like the children who were really abused. It's like they were overlooking them. I, it took me a while to kind of figure it out. And I worked with a, a great professor out <clears throat> of the University of Michigan. And she's the one who told me about the federal funding. And so when that was, it would have been about 2011, 2012,
0: meaning their decisions on whom to remove and what cases to act upon were determined by funding, not by actually actually the facts of the case. Correct,
2: and they well,
1: make- well and are also the fact that in order for the department to grow and get funding, it needs. To have more children in the system, <laughs> it has to have more children. So there, yep. there's a, there's almost a mandate on the on the court and on the department to take children.
0: Yeah, kind of like a um, a police officer's. What do they have? Ticket, quota. Yeah, the ticket quota. Yeah, tic- yeah,
2: absolutely. And I actually was a DA in Davidson County when we, they came down on DUI officers. But um, yeah, they have to have a. That's a quota. Basically, you can look up a ten year history. You can do it in any state. That federal funding under Title 4E is what funds foster care, and as a user it or lose it scheme. It's never subject to sequester. It's actually about 40% of the state budget. So when you have a bureaucracy of some 3,900 to 4,500 employees and you have to keep them employed, you have to have the commodity is the children who are in the what? system.
0: You're saying that's the number in Tennessee?
2: That, well, the, the 3,900 to forty five employees in Tennessee in the department, it's a really big bureaucracy. That's
0: gigantic.
2: Yeah, it is. And they're taking about 8,000 children a year.
1: And, so, well, and isn't there? Okay, I could be wrong, but I, I know that DCS, the story is, especially in the foster system, is severely understaffed. Didn't the governor's budget just include a massive increase to hire more? Staffing in DCS, right?
2: Yes, it did, to pay them a whole lot more. But here's the thing they've totally ignored. In the spring of 2021, they did a quote-unquote culture survey among the staff all across the the state for DCS. (laughs) And all the people, they just said it's a terrible place to work. They said that the upper management, all they care about is dollars and numbers. They said that they're always being put in dangerous situations because sometimes they have to go out to dangerous Mm -hmm. places. So, they all just said it's just a crummy place to work. So, I don't care how much you Pay them, but also they've tried to limit the caseloads, etc. But you know, it's a the real the real need is the people who are on the ground level and not the bureaucracy, and that's part of the problem with DCS. But anyway, back to me, and I started fighting DCS, and I started asking for new laws, laws that would protect family rights and parental rights. Mm-hmm. And so they these judges sign ex parte orders all the right. time to take children. And so I tried to limit ex parte orders. Um, I wanted a family advocate just to help families through the system, mm-hmm. much like we have in mental health and hospitals, veterans, uh, whatever. Terry Lynn Weaver is the one who did my advocate bill. <laughs>
1: And she mm-hmm. was a champion. She yeah. was
2: so awesome. I spent so much time <clears throat> with her. And uh, it, Mary Littleton shut her down. She took it off calendar.
1: And I want I want to pause real quick because we do a lot of Tennessee General Assembly legislative updates here on the show. Because uh, hopefully we have you know an audience you know in in other places as well. It's, we're talking about a lot of things here, but we're very focused on Tennessee legislation. Wasn't there? When you said ex parte, it triggered a memory. Didn't a bill just pass this year that made it even easier? I think something like um, now, I'll give an example. Let's just say you are caring for your sister's child. And you get a knock on the door. And you have no idea that a court has just issued an order on this child. You're completely clueless. You're just caring for someone else's child. The law now states that you must release that child. You're not owed a warrant. You're not owed any kind of notification that the court has served an order on that child. And, Am I interpreting that correctly?
2: That's absolutely right. And you, they don't even have to show you the order. And if you don't turn over that child right then, you are arrested You're, for a felony. So what
0: what is the theory upon which they can get away without a warrant, without probable cause, Without all the normal constitutional protections, how in the world does this pass? I don't understand. Illegal
1: searches and seizures. I mean, that, that seems to yeah, be there's, there's, basic constitution.
0: Yeah. So I, how does this pass? And by the way, how does it pass when our legislature always tells us that they're afraid to pass things that they think are going to get them in lawsuits? I mean, is this not going to get hello? somebody in a lawsuit?
1: <laughs> no, that Kevin, you see, they just don't want to be in a lawsuit with the federal government. Mm. Ah. They don't mind being in a lawsuit with you. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah,
2: so I'll <laughs> tell you, uh, that takes us down another bunny trail, which are individual civil rights, because I have done civil rights litigation as well. Very hard to do civil rights litigation mm-hmm. because there's so many immunities, right? I mean, and so it took us literally until 2018 to establish in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals that a social worker cannot lie under oath in a petition to get a removal order, ex parte, it took till 2018. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable. So, So basically, the civil rights position right now is they can't lie, but they do. They lie. They get anonymous referrals. They don't investigate them. They put them in a petition. They put it under oath. And uh, what I had dealt with particular that led to where I am is I had a client I'd known for several years. She got a knock on her door. DCS was there at the door. She told the DCS worker, you know I have an attorney. I'm not going to let you in the house. You know I've got an attorney. She leaves. Client calls me the next morning. I start making phone calls. I call the DCS worker, leave a message. I call her supervisor, leave a message. I called central office, left a message. I called Two local offices left a message. Look, I represent this mom. I need. Well, happy to talk to you. Happy to work with you. Just give me a call. We'll set up a meeting. Mm-hmm. And mom had been accused of being a drug dealer on a Facebook post. On a Facebook post. And so they didn't call me back. They didn't call me back. Instead of calling me back, that same DCS worker prepared a petition saying mom is a drug dealer. But she had one more thing. Mm-hmm. She put in there, mother has refused to cooperate.
1: Mm-hmm. Bad, bad mom.
2: She did not put in there that mom has an attorney. Yeah. Wow, and we haven't called her back yet.
1: <laughs> hey, okay, so I got a question. Wow. I got a question for you. So you you're citing examples. You've seen how DCS or the courts have used falsified claims to take children out of their the care of their parents. Do you think it's plausible, as we're discussing here in Tennessee, these red flag laws?
2: Might it be plausible? Is it
1: within the realm of possibility that they might use falsified claims to seize someone's guns? Oh, Maybe? Yeah, Is that yeah,
2: possible? Listen, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Just throwing that sure. out
0: there. Yeah. D- <laughs> you talk about bunny trails? We could <laughs> yeah. go down a lot of bunny <laughs> trails. If we one. start
2: there from yeah. a constitutional no, let's not do issue, it. Just, I, we will never get back to... I thought it was prescient.
0: And, and by the way, <laughs> this reminds me... This is such a parallel topic and subject matter to our guest from California, and I apologize, I forget Rachel her name. Bruno. Yes. When Rachel was on here in January, because yeah. we were in the little space, that was compelling, and I see so many parallels now to what's going on. And remember, we told people at that time, just because you're hearing it happening in California doesn't mean that it's not or going to happen here, so this is... It is happening here, so yeah, I'll, oh, I'll let is. Connie continue. Oh
2: yeah, it is, and uh, actually, I worked with a reporter in 2021 and 22 with the Tennessee Tribune that he wrote 35 different stories, very similar to Rachel's in different ways, mm. but we kept kept putting them out there, and I I attribute that to the removal of uh, the last commissioner. By the way, Nichols, so now we have a new one, but anyway,
1: so I want I want to dig into to the current day here so that's a lot of your history background working with dcs but the point i want to hit and and we will see where this takes us but you ran you, you you've taken this wealth of knowledge all of this fighting mm-hmm. you've done for civil liberties uh against government overreach and you you ran for gosh i keep forgetting juvenile. juvenile court judge uh here we by the way how long have we had juvenile court judges in williamson county uh
2: 2013 the yeah, court so was fa- established so it's fairly new mm.
1: And um, you recently ran, again, I think, I can't remember if I stated this at the beginning of the podcast or not, but but in the middle of early voting, I mean, literally, people are already pushing buttons at the polls, and you get a criminal conviction. And the interesting thing I find about that, the detail I don't want to miss, is I think that that case had been brought against your client and yourself in 2019, Did I read that right?
2: Yes. And actually, it occurred in 2018. They waited almost a year to even bring it. Actually, after DCS had already dismissed the case, sent her kids home, dropped everything. And then a month later, they came and they uh, called us up and they arrested us. is this the
0: same woman that we were just talking about?
2: Uh, Yeah. The mother Mm -hmm. that that was accused
0: on Facebook? Yeah. Okay, so that is the subject matter which led to your conviction as an accomplice. Yes. Okay, so tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so I will say this. I knew I was pushing the limits because I'd had it with DCS, okay? So uh, anyway, I find out about this ex parte order. Nobody calls me back. I have to drive all the way out to DeKalb County. The mother has actually gone to a hotel because she has a disabled 12-year-old child that I know what's going to happen if they put her in DCS custody. I know all the bad things they do. They lose children. They vaccinate them. without without permission which
1: Um, which we talked about (laughs) with rachel Mm -hmm. that that happened in california i think what they gave their they gave her child 12 vaccines, like immediately, within eight hours.
2: Yes, yes. And they ended up vaccinating her child too. But anyway, I go and I meet her at the hotel and I say, you know, I'm going to make some phone calls. I'm going to try to get us in front of a judge, but why don't you come on to Brentwood, to my house? She was a friend of mine. So she comes to the house. She spends the night the next morning. There's like six cops surrounding my house. Let me tell you something. Now, now think about this. Just think about this for a moment. Everybody has my phone number and everybody knows I'm her attorney I've talked to a detective in mm-hmm. her local town I've talked I've left messages for supervisors Dcs workers offices they nobody will call me back right. but they surround my house in Brentwood I'm sure my neighbors wondered thought there was something crazy going yeah. on and then they take her and take her child and sure enough ship her child 200 miles from home uh, in South Jackson put her in a, a black neighborhood a black home black church and here she'd been in a little little Lily White home in in DeKalb County. Eventually, they move her to another home where thirteen people reside. About half of them are foster children of all kinds of ages. She they mistreat her in many many ways. But eventually, I fight them, beat them up, fight them, fight them. It takes us ten months mother's nail bed test shows that there's no drugs in her system. They never found any drugs. I mean, they, there's nothing. Send her home and then a month later they call me up. The detective in Brentwood says, we've indicted you. And I said, okay, fine. We'll, I'll turn us in. So we go turn ourselves in. That's in the summer of 2019. Of course, then comes a the pandemic. So they have this ability to start dragging it out, right? Mm-hmm. Just keep it hanging over our head. So you know? the,
1: Okay, so, so because of COVID, there was no... Imminent danger. Nothing urgent about adjudicating Miss Reguly's criminal activity because of COVID. <laughs> pre- protecting right? the public from your prowess.
2: Oh, wait a minute! I forgot this. I was R O R too,
0: which Three, means
2: released on your own recognizance. recognizance. Yep, I never made a bond. Okay, the judge, no judge set a bond on me. So here I am, three felonies walking around, ROR, all during COVID. Uh, so then... But we, we're all vaccinated <laughs> now and COVID's done she, and everything's probably good. safe
0: because of that, right? <laughs> yeah. Or because people wore masks. That's why you were, we were protected yeah. from Connie.
2: That's right. That's <laughs> right. Oh, so in the beginning of this, so my client got the public defender in Williamson County. I got an attorney out of Nashville and... I looked at the uh, indictment. Honestly, this is the, this is the truth. They hand me the indictment. I read it. I laugh. I laugh. They don't even have the right words in the indictment. Mm-hmm. So I tell my client, look, this this whole indictment's going to get dismissed. And so then I start, I'm I'm very intellectual when it comes to law, so I start writing the briefing to dismiss the indictment. Right. And it goes and give it to the public defender. I mean, I gave him the whole brief and my attorney and her attorney takes it to Judge Woodruff. And Judge Woodruff looks at this motion to dismiss and he says to the DA and he says to the public defender, give me your proposed jury instructions. Now, this crime, the alleged crime is custodial interference, which is first uh, was codified in 1989. But then in 2006, we must have had a much better General Assembly back in 2006 because they really narrowed it. They made it very specific. It was on visitation orders, Mm -hmm. custody orders that were adjudicated basically where everybody had a full right to a trial, and so they didn't have the language in there that a about visitation orders because they just said the mom detained the child in violation of an order, but that's not what the statute says. That says the mother detained the child after the expiration of a lawful period of visitation in violation of court order. That's the language. It's very simple, very clear. Mm-hmm. So we filed to dismiss it, and Judge Woodruff asked the DA, asked the public defender to give their proposed jury instructions, and they both, now listen, here's the critical part. This is what judicial activism looks like. Both sides, the state and the public defender, give the same proposed instructions, which includes after the expiration of a lawful period of visitation. Goes in front of Judge Woodruff. He even tells the state right there, well, if you have to have a visitation order, I think you've got a steep hill to climb. Takes it under advisement. Two weeks later... We get an order from Judge Woodruff that rewrites the statute and takes that entirely out of the jury instructions and just says, detain a child in violation of a court order. We tried a Rule 9. We tried a Rule 10. We tried to appeal it immediately. The Court of Appeals wouldn't take it. And so we had to go in front of a jury, basically knowing we were... So I just want
1: to be clear. So the judge, in this case, presents the jury with a version of the law, with a new version of the law, and is asking them to make a determination on that basis
0: rather than on what the law actually says. Right.
1: Just what TCA, blah, 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 whatever, <clears throat> says. Right,
0: right,
2: right. So and my, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, the, how do you even do that? Yeah, in how, a court? How, does that not, how does that not get shut down right away on an appeal?
2: Well, we try to, uh, to do an... Uh, Emergency appeal and the court wouldn't take it. You know that's all discretionary. They wouldn't take it.
0: I, they, I don't know. Judges
1: what, discretionary. It, it's, it's the it, law. Does this
0: mean any judge can just say, "Well, instead of following the statute, I'm going to follow half the statute"? Exactly. That's because it.
1: because it's my court proceeding. Yes. That's like that's normal.
0: Yes.
2: And he even admitted in one of his orders that the way the statute is written, it would not apply to DCS's ex parte orders. He even admitted
0: that. Okay. So we have that in writing.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So anyway, my client has to go to trial first because she is the underlying crime. They indicted me for an accessory to her crime.
0: And you're an accessory because you had her over to visit you? That's yes. the That's the act that makes you an accessory?
2: Yes. Okay. Now, also understand— But she's a, she's a client. And also understand that under accessory after the fact, it says right in the statute, does not apply to legal representation. Legal representation. So,
0: what is there? What is there expressed justification for that? It sounds so obviously foolish and blatant and frivolous. What did they say when you confronted them on that? Well,
1: Kevin, she was running against the incumbent. (laughs) This is what you're missing.
2: And Before that, though. (laughs) And that's the second jury instruction issue, is the judge would not instruct the jury on accessory after the fact does not include legal representation. He struck that from the statute, too. Okay,
0: in, in time sequence, right, we talked about all of this being paused or delayed during COVID. When was this proceeding when the judge actually... I would say, is it correct to say misrepresented the statute, right? Left part of the statute. When was this proceeding? Was this during the election or was this before?
2: That was before. So that was May 21. And he rewrote it. I mean, he just rewrote the law. He just ignored what it said. So that's May 21. So her trial was set for July 21. Now, here's a little interesting twist. I knew the election was coming up. I hadn't announced to anybody yet.
1: Wait, wait. I want to make sure I have have this straight. So the ruling... Came down in the on April twentieth.
2: No, a- in May of twenty one is when the first ruling came down that he was going to change the law.
1: But when was the when did the ruling come down that took place in the middle of your election?
2: That's the trial. That's the trial. The, as a pre-trial matter, we had a motion to dismiss the indictment, and that's when he changed all the jury instructions. And we it was a pre-trial matter to I change see. the jury instructions. So in the summer of 21, her case was set for trial. And that's when, knowing the election was coming up, and I was trying to—I really wish every judge was challenged on every election. Mm. You know, we need to have them—we need to keep them on their toes. And so I had started reaching out. This was already—and it's a very— Close knit community, the legal community, mm-hmm. right? And so I had about a handful of attorneys that I did trust, and I I just either sent an email or asked them one on one, just like, would you run for judge, right? And nobody would bite. I mean, nobody would bite, right? right? Because they were incumbents. There was only one. No,
1: you you don't run against incumbents, especially in Williamson County. Right.
2: And I was putting that out there like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And this was was going on right during my client's trial in the summer of 2021 because I was prepping for it. So, I mean, she was a goner, I mean, in her trial because the judge changed the law. I mean, we went through. But listen, if you knew how much time and money of taxpayers' money, they had an expert come in who tracked my car from Lebanon to Brentwood. They got my phone records. They did an entire search warrant on my entire Facebook. They got 20,000 pages of my Facebook, which was the First Amendment. But violation. again,
0: your only quote-unquote crime was that you were representing, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're You're a lawyer. If a lawyer can't have lawyer confidentiality with the lawyer's clients and all of your— I mean. Was there any other underlying crime that they're accusing you of? Oh
2: no. No, that's it. That's it.
0: How did they even get a warrant for your records? I, I don't I don't understand how lawyer-client relationship can be destroyed by how does a judge anywhere say you have probable cause to go check the phone records and to follow an attorney who has Absent some other crime, right? You haven't gone out. There's no suspicion of murder. There's no suspicion of some other crime. All you're doing is representing someone that they believe has violated the law.
2: Well, I, I will tell you, interestingly enough, that search warrant was signed by Judge Woodruff, the same judge that rewrote the law to be able to proceed with the prosecution.
0: The search warrant that came Way back in 2019, you mean? Yes, the original. Okay. Mm-hmm. During wow, yes, yes. During their,
2: during their quote unquote investigation, he signed a search warrant for my entire Facebook now, and and that search warrant asked for now. Remember, I am an attorney, and I do communicate with other people as well. It asked for every one of my private messages on Messenger for a six month period. It asked for all of my deleted posts, all my photos, all my comments. And did you
1: have to? Were you compelled to produce
2: that? They did a search warrant to Facebook without me even knowing it.
1: And they did oh. they comply and produce all of that document?
2: Oh, yes, they did. 20,000 pages.
0: <clears throat> there you go, ladies and gentlemen. In case you ever wonder wow. about whether or not uh, wow. American business and corporations will protect you when the government comes to... <laughs> this is unconstitutional. This is like...
2: Oh, no, I haven't even... Yeah. There's
0: so much... Yeah. I don't know where to begin. This I need I need to scream. This bothers me.
2: <laughs> well, Oh, yeah. And when I tell you uh, later, uh, I'm going to come back to the search warrant. But let me get back to so My client has a trial. I I mean, we're hung, right? Because they've changed the law. I I mean, I knew there was no crime when this happened. I knew it was not a crime. I was a district attorney. I I knew the criminal code. And so when they changed the law, I mean, my attorney, the public defender, I mean, we argued some other things. We brought up some other issues like sufficiency of the evidence, et cetera. But uh, so she goes to trial and they convict her. And then and then, listen how cruel they are. My client, who was scared to death to go to, to jail, because they mm-hmm. have her on a felony now, one- to six-year incarceration felony, they make a deal with her to testify against me, her attorney, who saved her child from oh, DCS.
0: Man. So wicked.
2: And give her two years probation. And then, not only does she have to do that, they, she has to go meet with the DA in a secret proceeding and being hammered. I mean, basically be, cr- you know, and being, so a- <laughs>
0: she's, she's without counsel right. she's meeting with the district attorney being persuaded to go after her current or slash former attorney in order to relieve. So they, so they put the pressure on her Convict her of something that sounds uh, unfair, unconstitutional, and then to go after the attorney who represented her, they give her leniency or suggest leniency in her sentence so that she'll turn on you. Yes when none of it's a crime.
2: Right. This is outrageous and, and, her, and frightening. And her daughter. They did it to her daughter too, who was now by now was like 14 years old and got her in a room by herself and My also gosh. examined her. So anyway, so that her trial was in July 2021. My trial was set for September 2021, 2 months later. So I was thinking, now I'm starting to wonder about the election. I've always got that on my mind here, trying to figure out what to do. Had my trial been in September 2021, I would have been in the Court of Appeals, you know, by then. Her case would have been—they started dragging their feet on the Court of Appeals issues. The day before my trial was to start in September of 2021, my attorney sends me a text. The DA is sick. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Now, th-
1: now the, at that time, did they know that you were considering running...
2: Well, they knew something was going to happen.
1: There was some chatter.
2: <laughs> yeah. They knew something was because I'd had put all these feelers out, and it's like mm-hmm. a freaking phone book, right? A phone booth as far as the, the bar. Right. You you concerned. had put
1: feelers out at that time? Yeah. Oh, well, they knew. Yeah. I mean, yeah, court, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody yeah. knew.
2: Yeah, yeah. And one girl, I had actually reached out to one girl in particular and asked her to run for juvenile court judge, somebody that I trusted, and she said she couldn't do it. So, anyway, so anyway, my trial gets continued. And so we're like, my attorney and I are like trying to figure out, like, what are they doing? When are we going to set this? They was t- talking about October, November, what? And all of a sudden, a couple months later, I get an order setting my trial for April of 2022, April 18th of 2022. I'm like, okay. So the
0: significance of that, you thought, at that time was what?
2: Well, I knew. I didn't know exactly. I didn't know. I have a feeling some other people in Williamson County knew when early voting was going to be. But I knew it would be sometime during that primary.
1: That was already on the calendar. Yeah. So in in the interest of time, because I don't want to run out uh, here. So I want to make sure we're clear. Okay, so they set the trial date for April 17th. 18th I think yeah April 18th sorry the the trial happens and then how quickly do you have a ruling?
2: Oh, well, I get it. It's a jury trial, so you get a conviction now. But, oh,
1: immediately. Okay. Oh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But you know what? The Williamson Herald, bless their sweet little hearts, they couldn't get enough of me. I mean, we went in to try to continue the trial. I mean, who cares about the juvenile court judge position, right? But they put in their paper that, you know, their case won't be continued. And of course, when I got a conviction, it was all over. And two days later, the Supreme Court suspended my license. They did not charge the jury properly on custodial interference, and they failed to charge the jury on the legal representation aspect of accessory after the fact.
1: I want to emphasize this was done in the middle of an election yes. for a for a judge. I mean that is huge that to me you you just that in and of itself smacks of corruption.
0: It sounds alone. to me when when I hear that I think of um you know the movie The Firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and how corrupt Tom Cruise they, yeah, they show that the the lawyers and law firms are I'm kind of getting chills down my spine thinking, this is in our community, Gary. I know, it's right, right here. Right in our community. Right and, and and the corruption that people, I, it, it's, I mean, I can't say for sure it's corruption legally, but it sure does walk like a duck, right? It quacks like a duck. So what is it if this is not corruption in our local system?
1: And so the reason you're here, because I feel like in the beginning of your now what I think is pending vindication, right? Mm-hmm. Last week the appellate court overruled the trial court's decision for your client, which Correct. is gonna eventually trickle down to you because you're an accessory to that something that's no longer a crime, then <laughs> I mean, you can't be an accessory to it, right? And I just, right. And I I wanna read the screenshot you sent me, what what the court actually said, because this is what we've been talking about. And this is now the judgment of the appellate court. The trial court, which you could imply, let's just replace that with Judge Woodruff. Yes. right. It really should say Judge Woodruff (laughs) improperly instructed the jury on the elements of custodial interference. Judge Woodruff, it says the trial court, improperly instructed the jury that the ex parte custody order was, quote, valid and enforceable. Uh, The evidence was insufficient to support the conviction, and Tennessee should adopt an advice of counsel defense for specific intent crimes. And then just to close this out, because the trial court improperly instructed the jury essentially removing one of the elements of the offense and lowering the burden of proof, we reverse the judgment of the trial court and vacate defendant's conviction.
2: Well, and that's really the of course he, this is
1: uh, this is this is now
2: five years later
1: well, and well past your election election opportunity.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really that critical issue here of when a judge can rewrite a criminal code to remove an essential element of a crime. Now, and keep in mind, this is only a crime. This is not a moral crime, like robbing somebody, stealing somebody's car. It's it's
1: an administrative crime. It's an
2: administrative crime. It is only a crime because it was created by the Tennessee General Assembly as a crime. And it's written, and and, I mean, the statutory construction law is very clear. It's like you have to read every word of the statute. You can't go slice and dice it and make it fit the facts. And he even admitted that he was was making the statute fit the facts.
0: So, I, I have a sequence question. Why didn't this appeal work the first time, but it worked the second time? You know, when you appealed immediately when his instructions were incorrect... It, different appellate court or different judge or different panel of judges?
2: No, but that's a good question, though, and I'm sure a lot of people have that question. When you're in the middle of a case, you don't have a right to appeal, but you can oh, appeal— Oh, you said that
0: discretionary. Yeah, that's right.
2: It was a discretionary appeal, and they refused to oh hear it. Oh, my
0: gosh. It just seems, it seems so blatant that even though it was discretionary, somebody should have said, hold on a second— the, the statute has been misquoted, as, and that's resulting in a conviction.
2: Well, and they take very, very few appeals on discretionary anymore. They used to take more. I've had a few, but rarely will they even do that. Uh, it,
1: so I'm, I'm just thinking through a few things here. You, you ran for office, so you spent money. You raised mm-hmm. money, spent money. You were now de-licensed, if that's the right word. And so you're now losing the ability to practice law. Um, you are incurring costs defending yourself against a state that has changed the rules against you. Is there is there any opportunity to recoup any of that money that the state has stolen? Yeah, I'm you? gonna
2: I'm gonna answer that, but I'm gonna go back for just a second. When I was convicted on April the 20th, which was a Wednesday. Two days later on Friday, April the 22nd, the Tennessee Supreme Court suspended my license saying because I was convicted of a serious crime. Now, I immediately filed a petition and put all this language in there about all the fake felony stuff, Mm -hmm. and they said, you're not entitled to a hearing. No, you aren't even entitled to a hearing.
0: So, And is that... True, or was that just their statement?
2: That is the way it's It's written. at their
0: discretion. Well. The bar has the discretion to?
2: No, the Supreme Court. The Tennessee Supreme Court writes the Tennessee Supreme Court rules, and they wrote a rule that says that if attorney's convicted of a quote-unquote serious crime, they are immediately suspended, and they have no right to a hearing.
1: So they get to determine whether or not it's a quote-unquote serious crime.
2: Or a crime at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> wow. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So where we are right now is, of course, uh, you know, the state has to make a critical decision whether or not they're going to try to take this ridiculous event to the Tennessee Supreme Court. Uh, The state made a ridiculous argument, basically trying to put change. It it was all semantical about, well, we could say it this way or we could say it that way. It It was ridiculous. So
0: right now, the state is trying to determine whether or not to appeal... The appellate court's decision, right, mm-hmm. to, to get back to what they had hoped they had gotten at the trial level. But that's still with regard to your client. Do you have to wait for that to finish its process completely before... Your matter is adjudicated?
2: Well, my case, uh, they've also withhold my transcript. They've still continued to play around with me. I'm just now getting my transcripts from a year ago. So my case is in the appellate process, and we're not going to let up on that until we know whether or not the state's going to try to get the Supreme Court to hear this.
0: But once, let's say the state does not go ahead to the Supreme Mm -hmm. Court, once that happens, Do you think it's pretty automatic then that yours gets dismissed? Because mm -hmm. if if your client is not charged with a crime, then you can't be an accomplice to it, right? Right. You
2: can't be an accessory if there is no
0: crime. So then what happens with regard to your bar, your law license? Does that also unwind or was that still going to be at the discretion of the Supreme Court?
2: Well, we don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, It doesn't say in that rule. Well, how you go, how you get it back or how oh you even gosh. get a hearing on it. Yeah, there, it's a very, the the whole Tennessee judiciary is very controlled. People need to understand that. That's really the theme here. I am an aggressive advocate, activist attorney. I have spoken out. I've been to the General Assembly multiple times. I've spoken out at indigent task force. I have a social media group, 18,000 parents across the United States. We go to Washington, D.C. I've called out judges for their conduct and their behavior. And I'm an, I'm, they don't, they, uh, they don't like it. So what else do I say? don't see you
1: searching for the right. I know. Uh, Uh, They don't like it.
2: Yeah. It's it's like, I'm afraid I'll say the wrong word. Well,
0: so it raises this question in my mind. Is there any other way to get resolution if the Supreme Court won't allow you to get your law license? Is there, is there any kind of. I don't know. I, I can't think of the procedure. Is there anybody else to go to? Any other arbiter above them or any other? What, what's I'm, I'm fumbling for the word.
2: Yeah, well, the, technically no to that question because the Tennessee Supreme Court has already ruled that the Tennessee Supreme Court has total control.
1: 100. That sounds like Dred Scott in the federal <laughs> level, right? And I guess the Supreme Court— I'm just thinking through the Tennessee Constitution here. I mean, the Supreme Court is a constitutionally created entity, so it does have a, I guess, a sort of supreme constitutional authority over its business, except that it is, per the Tennessee Constitution, the state legislature that creates and therefore has authority over all inferior courts, including the appellate court.
2: Well, let me tell you an interesting so thing I about that. So
1: how does that – Yeah work.
2: Well, let me tell you a very interesting thing about that is Rule 9, Tennessee Supreme Court Rule 9 is the disciplinary board that can, you know, dangle your license in front of you when they don't like you. So, there is a a code uh, in the Tennessee Code that says the Tennessee Supreme Court can create its own rules for the function of its business, but those rules have to be adopted by joint resolution of the General Assembly.
1: So the ability to, to create those rules has been given to the court by the General Assembly.
2: Yes. Yeah. However, Rule 9, which is their disciplinary board rule, has never been adopted by the General Assembly. And they have said, the Tennessee Supreme Court says, huh. we have no intention of having that Rule 9 considered by the Tennessee General Assembly because we have total control over the practice of law. Hmm. So there you go. So now, yeah, so the question you ask, I want to go back to what Gary asked. To say that I am contemplating uh, civil litigation against the players would be uh, accurate. I think it falls pretty well in line to malicious prosecution, mm-hmm. and which is a civil rights, uh, since it's all right. state actors. They're all state actors. It was a DCS attorney who initiated it. She went to the Brentwood uh, Police Department and talked to the detective who also had the police chief there and had a district attorney from Williamson County there. She admitted in her, her testimony. So you have those five players that got together and decided to go forward with a fake crime and created the fake crime kim helper you know i hate to say this out loud but i'm just going to resurrect her from the dead to sue her and include her in a malicious prosecution case because she's the one who wrote the faulty indictment and she's the one who i was going to
1: ask that 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 has to be done by the da not the court right
2: the, to initiate an indictment, initiate, yeah,
1: yeah, is okay. is
2: done by the DA, and she left the language out of the indictment. Tennessee has a strange law about indictments. I don't want to get sidetracked there, but but there is a constitutional violation when you because think about this: the grand jury, which you know, I used to be a DA. You could, you've heard the saying, you can indict a ham sandwich. Right. You've probably heard. Remember that, that from
0: law school. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So,
2: but the grand jury has to make a probable cause finding on every element of the crime. I mean, that's constitutional. Mm-hmm. So if you leave an element of the crime out of the language of the indictment, then you don't know what the grand jury's making a decision on. So Kim so Helper is, did that on purpose. So
0: is is your burden of proof this is malicious prosecution, right? That would be that's the style of the case or the the, mm-hmm. the claim. Your burden of proof is proving intentionality. Is that what you have to prove? Okay. I, I
1: just before it, we I know we're going to have yeah. to close here in a minute but I just have a, a a super quick question if you can if you know it you mentioned earlier that the through um joint hearing that the general assembly can remove a judge yeah can you do the same or is there a process to do that with a DA in the state of Tennessee,
2: uh, no, the removal is only falls under Article Six, which is the judicial uh, section of the Tennessee Constitution. Okay. Darn yeah. it! Yeah, I'm just it's, it's only Article Six. Well, mm-hmm. I'll tell
1: you something. I, I'm I'm thankful that Man. that you came on the show. You visibly destroyed Kevin today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
0: I'm I'm just and, it's crazy and the thing story. that bothers me. All of it's bad, but the thing that bothers me the most is you go through this process, which. Even if you get judicial relief and they say, of course, you're not convicted of a crime because a crime was not really committed because there were bad actors who pretended it was a crime or didn't disclose the full facts, that you still can't get your law license back. Like if your law law license was taken away under a false premise, they can still determine that we're not going to give it back to you. That just seems to me – it seems to me there's got to be some claim to get that back it's just yes i'm visibly <laughs> I, i'm visibly undone well
1: and and i want to say rightfully so and i i just want to say publicly connie i'm i'm uh i'm thankful for your fight i mean you are you are someone that i have seen take some incredibly huge public shots <laughs> and um And I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen in in even circles when that conviction came down, people be uncertain of you and lose friends. All those sort – I've watched that happen around you. Uh, Yet every time I see you and then having a conversation like this, I mean, you are just steady as she goes and consistent on – uh being a fighter and being um well a fighter on what you know to be the truth right and i just i've always respected that about you so oh, thank thank you thank you for for having the the fortitude to put up yeah. uh such a fight against that injustice well yeah.
2: and this was to discredit me that's what this was about. They to discredit me. Well so they, and they're
1: and they're and they're doing it. They
2: are. Right. And they've discredited me to General Assembly members and you know to other judges. And honestly, to be quite honest with you, I'm going to be quite excited to be walking in some courtrooms here pretty soon.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for telling your story. <laughs> If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.